1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to This is the Place, a podcast series from The Common Magazine on the New Books Network. The Common publishes literature and art with a modern sense of place. I'm Emily Everett, managing editor of the magazine and host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Gerardo Samano Cordova about his story, Iceberg Mine, which appeared in issue 24 of The Common last fall. Gerardo Samano Cordova is a writer and artist from Mexico City. His first novel, Monstrilio, about a boy who transforms into a monster, a monster who tries to be a man, and the people who love him in every form he takes, is out from Zando now. Gerardo holds an MFA in fiction from the University of Michigan. His work has appeared in Catapult, The Common, Ninth Letter, Passages North, Chicago Quarterly Review, and others. He's also been known to draw little creatures. Gerardo Samano Cordova, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
2: Would you set the scene for our conversation? Just tell us where you're calling from now and what it's like.
1: Yeah, um, I'm calling from Queretaro, Mexico. And it's sunny and nice because it's not too hot today. So that's, that's good. Um, so, yeah, I'm here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds lovely. Um, I would love to start off with a reading from your story. Would you read the first few paragraphs for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the story's iceberg mine. We called him Eziaki. If you knew his real name, I certainly didn't when I was charged with being his caretaker during his first visit to New York. Isiaki meant iceberg in Iceland, where this man came from. I wrote Isiaki on a blank sheet of paper, careful to include the accent over the first eye, and waited at JFK airport for the man to find me. I didn't know what the man looked like, hardly any pictures of him existed, and the ones that did showed a figure covered head to toe in black garments oversized black knit sweater, loose black pants, and black combat boots. He wore a black low less baseball cap. His face was wrapped in dark gray scarf, and his eyes were covered by vintage leather and brass aviator goggles, like a creature from a comic book. This hiddenness was very unlike other artists I had met, who were, in their majority, more than eager to be as recognizable in their own flesh as their artist fame allowed even when most would never openly admit their need for attention. I wasn't an artist myself, but rather senior assistant in one of the most prestigious art galleries in New York. My job consisted in making sure the more lucrative artists in the gallery represented were happy. I organized their whims and also those of Marisa, my boss, gallery owner and curator. Hello, Isiaki said in a rasp, like a shy cough. The, four, the first word he ever said to me. I had expected Isiaki to be out of costume, but he wasn't. He wore all black and wore his scarf, baseball cap, and goggles. Isiaki must have had to dress up somewhere between immigration and meeting me. An immigration officer would not have allowed anyone to come into the U.S. without showing their face. Welcome to New York, I said. I didn't offer my hand, and he kept his hands down and close to his body. I would have felt awkward trying to handshake someone who might not like to be touched. I put my hand up instead, as if a tiny halt, and immediately regretted my ridiculous salutation. I'm Augusto.
2: Thank you for reading that. Yeah, uh, I wonder, for our listeners who, who might not have read your story yet, would you
1: describe what the piece is about? Yeah, so um, I guess the, the piece is about love and, like, finding... a moment of extraordinary love, um, even if it's fleeting. And it kind of like take place into like parallel universes, Mm -hmm. uh, I suppose. Um, In one, um, like uh, this first part in the story where this um, assistant to a gallery uh, meets an artist from Iceland called Isyaki, um, or he calls himself Isyaki. And the second uh, part is that's interweaved is about this man um, meeting an iceberg that has floated into a bay in New York um, and falling and kind of falling in love with the iceberg. Um, and so it's this kind of like play between those mm-hmm. two um, universes, um, which kind of like talk about like the extraordinary, how extraordinary love can be, even if it's fleeting.
2: Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I'm glad you sort of summarized the form of it. It's so much fun. Um, It's just, you know, the story is so wonderfully original. It's really, it's outside the box. And I just, I remember very vividly the first time I read it. um, And it just, yeah, really bowled me over. Um, What what inspired you to start work on it? Like, how does a story like this first come together?
1: Um, The first iterations of the story came (laughs) because um, I had the image of the iceberg of an iceberg, like a literal iceberg coming into a city. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought of New York because I love New York Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, and how extraordinary that would be and what would happen. And so that image was like the first thing that I kind of like wanted wanted to write around. Um, And so like the first iteration of the story is just like that part of like the iceberg coming into the Bay and like Mm -hmm. people not really knowing what to do with it. Um, And it's, it was told. I mean, that part is kind of like the same, kind of, kind of like the same as it stands now, mm-hmm. um, but there were like many, many um, paths uh, to take with that story, and it was kind of like messy in the first mm-hmm. draft, just because it could it could take so so much, um, so many different avenues right like um i thought about like people thinking it was like a mystical being this iceberg and like uh mm-hmm. cult like becoming like a cult figure um like also like the scientists and all and all of that is kind of like mentioned in this version mm-hmm. but um it kind of like pulled me in different um ways that i that that the story didn't necessarily want it to go mm-hmm. um and so I really honed in into, like, the aspect of, like, the love of these two mm-hmm. characters. Um, and uh, when when I was wor- workshopping it, um, like, just having, like, the, the surreal part to it kind of, like, didn't make total sense. Um, and so I tried to, as an exercise, I was just like, well, what happens if he, like, just, like, falls in love with, like a real man um, Mm -hmm. and and what that will look like. And I really liked how, how that turned out. And I was like, well, but that's not the full story either. So I decided to combine both. And in that combination, I think like in that space between the two universes, I think the story found its place.
2: Wow, that's quite a process that's so fascinating yeah <laughs> um, my my next question was going to be about the revision process but but maybe you've already kind of summed it up by just you know I think usually at the common we 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 tend to give authors, even when we're accepting a piece, lots of edits, we always have lots of ideas and thoughts about sharpening the piece. But I feel like in my memory, we didn't do a lot of edits on your piece. Like, I think it pretty much was printed the way you sent it in. Does that sound right to you?
1: Yeah, um, there weren't many edits, just like a mm-hmm. few words or sentences mm-hmm. um, throughout. Um, okay. But yeah, it was, it was mostly how I sent it um, was how it was published. But that doesn't mean like, it didn't go through like a million (laughs) revisions before.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about the revision process? I mean, you know, bringing those two stories together and like kind of finding a balance there.
1: Yeah. um, One thing I, I kind of wanted to say is like people have (laughs) reactions to like the surreal (laughs) part of stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and usually they're not, uh, they're kind of like confused reactions and not always super positive. (laughs) Um, cause I think it, it just takes a while for people to like, people kind of like immediately want to like find metaphor in the surreal or like the fantastic. And sometimes there's not that clear path to that. Um, mm-hmm. and so it was just also a process for myself to kind of like gain confidence in what I was writing was valuable. Um, mm-hmm. and there was like something there beyond just like fantastic. Um, And also like the idea that a striking image can also serve its own purpose by itself. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I, there was a moment that I thought like, well, maybe this story will never work because um, even though the premise of like an iceberg coming like a literal iceberg being there and kind of like falling in love with a man is just too wild. Mm -hmm. But then it's just like being like, well, if, it appeals to you, then there's something there. Um, even if like not everybody gets it. So it's just Mm -hmm. like sticking with it. Um, and kind of like trusting your own instincts. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I think that's a really good thing for people to hear, especially writers. I, you know, obviously, you know, I love workshopping pieces and stuff, but I feel like there's, there's definitely some pieces that don't do well in workshop, but it's because they're, they're not, playing out in acceptable ways or because they're doing something a little different or a little bit playful, or, or, or like you said, you know, people have extreme reactions to that, but it doesn't mean, like, to me, that's almost like you might be doing something right there.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes in workshop, we all kind of like try to, to find ways of talking about a piece in relation to other pieces that we've seen and when we encounter Mm -hmm. something that maybe is a little bit out there we don't know how to frame it or how to talk about it Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just like a complicated space to be in uh, both for like the writer and like the people reading the piece Um, and it's just like trying to find that place where where you can talk about it productively um, which is a little bit challenging sometimes
2: yeah but but yeah, to have the sort of you know the faith in your work that that even if it doesn't hit for everybody, it's still worth pursuing, yeah,
1: right, yeah, yeah, because yeah. in the end, I mean, it's gonna be your work out there with your <laughs> name on it, um, not everybody else's, right? Not all the people that didn't like it or liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the end, you kind of have to trust like the spark that kind of like makes you excited about mm-hmm. writing something.
2: Yeah, you know, it r- r- reminds me of something I heard um, the editor of, of Agni say, and he was saying that when they're reading through their submission queue, they don't worry about like uh, losing a good story to another magazine because they feel like they like the stories that no one else likes. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like, you you know, you really just need, I, I sort of feel like if your story is pleasing everyone, like, is it doing something new? Is it doing something fresh, you know? Right, um, yeah. yeah. And,
1: and sometimes you kind of like tend to, mold your work into something that feels a little bit safer just Mm -hmm. because you're like, well, maybe this will get published, you know, just because it's more common or like it's more approachable. Um, But in the end, I guess you have to ask yourself, but is this what I want to put out in the world or not, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And yeah, in the end, um, the stories, even if not everybody likes it, the stories that some people remember are the ones that are a little bit out there or like touch upon something that you haven't seen before or that, um, that is done in a, in a way that maybe you haven't thought about. Um, and so, um, that's a unique voice out in the world. That's very valuable.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. When, when people are uh, talk about, you know, submission advice, and obviously I've, you know, edited fiction for a couple of years. And, um, I always just, try to think about how people, how we can write about these things that everyone's writing about, like, you know, like finding love or, um, you know, existential crisis or marriage or kids or family, you know, all these death of a parent, like these things that, that we're all writing about because they're really the stuff of life. But, but can you tell them in a way that's totally different or, you know, like you said, like approaching it in a totally different way. And I feel like your story is such a great example of that, you know, because it really is about finding love. And even if it's fleeting, it's value and, Um, But no one could say that this piece has been done before.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I remember, like, so when I was in undergrad, I didn't do writing. I was studying film and photography. um, And I really fell in love with photography at that time. And I remember this amazing um, photography professor, um, Ron Jude, who said that, um, so like to take a picture of something, it's Sometimes it's difficult because it's like everybody has taken pictures of the same things. I mean, what else can you take a picture of, right? And he was like, well, don't worry about that because you haven't taken that picture, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you take it, you're going to imprint your own voice to it and your own way of seeing that maybe that same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stuck with me um, because in the end, um, art is about that, right? To express your own voice and there's no voice in the world like yours i mean just like scientifically we're all different <laughs> so um the way that you see that chair or whatever it is that you're seeing or like you said like all these th- themes that we all like um go around um but you haven't told that story and that's what's valuable right and mm-hmm. and also hard because you kind of like have to be vulnerable and look inside yourself and be like how do I see this thing? You know, how do I approach this subject? How what what does it make me feel? And sometimes it's like, well, um, my reaction to this is very different from other people, mm-hmm. and that can be scary too because you're like, well, people are not going to be able to relate, but someone will, um, and maybe if they don't relate personally, they're like, well, but that's a nice way to look at it, even if if it's not my experience, it's something. I feel like the world expands just because someone else has a different experience to that same thing.
0: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed so you don't have to. Download the
2: new Bumble now. Yeah. Oh, I really love that. Um, You know, I think something people often say about writing is that, you know, a story will teach you how to read it or the beginning of a story will sort of teach you how to approach it in terms of, you know, whether to expect realism or something more surreal or how to interpret things. Um, And I'm just, you know, I think you've talked about a little bit, but I'm really curious about how you, um, played with this balance in the more surreal part of the story. Um, I'm just thinking about, like, I really enjoyed the the parts of the story that focus on, like, the logistics, the simple logistics of, like, what if there was an iceberg in the Bay in New York? And what if it was following someone? And what would be the problems, the logistical problems? And how would you get out to it? And what would the scientists think? And that kind of thing. Um, and then also, you know, that's right up alongside the idea of, like, love, which we just accept that the iceberg loves Augusto, um, can you talk about that balance at all? Or
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, most, if not all, of my writing has fantastical elements to it. Um, and so I'm very interested in how that works. And it's not so like the fantastical elements in my work usually tend to be within like a recognizable world. And so um, that balance um, between what we recognize as like following the laws of physics or reality or whatever versus like that fantastical thing that has just happened and how that interacts with the world. So that fascinates me. And I'm always thinking about the logistics of it. Um, sometimes it can get, sometimes it's a trap because you can get like, so into those things that you write and write and write. And it kind of becomes boring because you're like, well, I'm just thinking <laughs> all these like little things or nuances about like um, logistical things mm-hmm. that are maybe not that interesting. And so usually in revision it's when like the pairing down happens once you have kind of like a f- more flesh fleshed out world of how this this fantastical element would interact in the world in like a more real world. Um, and then it's like going back and saying, well, well, what do I want to focus on? Why is this thing there? And so it's, it's that balance. Sometimes it's really hard to achieve that ba- balance um, to where you want the story to go and not just be like this logistical... Um, list of things that happen or like just like fall in love so much with your fantastical element that it just (laughs) becomes about that and not really about the story. And Mm -hmm. so it, uh, but that usually happens in revision um, where, where that like editing happens. And when, when, when I like realize what the story is about or what I want to convey and then you kind of like, just like let, Certain things be, um, like you said, um, there are like very specific logistical things that kind of like put you in into the like the real world and like the extraordinary thing that has happened, but also there are things that you kind of ask the reader to just accept, you know, it's just part of like it's unexplainable, but mm-hmm. there's no explanation, nobody in the story or out of the story knows why, but it's just happening and you kind of just have to accept that. Um, and I also like that idea to create that space um, in the story for that to happen.
2: Yeah. And I, I think that, yeah, some of the magic of the experience of reading it might be, yeah, being asked to sort of, I don't want to call it work, but like do that work as a reader, you know, make that leap as a reader and then you're
0: in.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and I like reading things that make me, like, work for it a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. like, put myself, like, a little effort into the story, um, so, and then when, once you put in that effort, then you kind of, like, feel, like, an ownership, or, like, you belong in that world as well, yeah. because, <laughs> you know, so it's not just, like, fed to you, mm-hmm. Um you you kind of have to go like reach for it a little bit and that that also makes you engaged um in the story
2: yeah yeah I definitely agree with that I'm really curious about how you conceived of of the artwork that the story centers around um the artist he makes these small black and white graffiti pieces um around Iceland uh, or around Reykjavik I should say um and the the pictures are of the iceberg having what you call minute moments of connection. And, and one of the examples in the story is the iceberg visiting Paris and he's in the Seine and he, and he sees a painting from the Louvre that a woman brings out just to show to him. Um, and right. I would just love to note, like, how did you come up with that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm really interested in art in, in all its forms. Mm-hmm. And so in most of what I write, um, some kind of art, comes into play um, with artists, with, like, characters being artists or just art, like, infusing um, the story um, or my writing somehow. Um, I love visual art, and I think it's always in my mind. I love performance art, too, and I think what uh, Isyaki does around Reykjavik, it's both, like, visual art, street art and also a little bit of a performance just because you don't know when he's doing the, these, but also there's a performative element to the people that, that want to see it to like go around the streets and kind of like find these moments. Mm -hmm. And thematically I knew like, because this part of like Isiaki came a little bit later in like the revision process at that moment I knew that the story was about human connection and like, just, I say human connection and there's an iceberg in it, but, um, (laughs) uh, but like that sense of like wanting to have connection to something in the world. Um, and so I thought like to have that representation, like a story within a story, um, I, I thought that made sense. Um, and I just kind of love to imagine these little drawings, um, happening all over a city. Um, and so, yeah, I think it it came from that. I can't remember exactly how, like, I just came up with that specific, uh, those specific moments, but, um, I kinda, I kinda love the idea of people connecting to the iceberg in different ways and just kinda like also showing like their love for that extraordinary, being.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's really it's very special. (laughs) I I really I really enjoy it. And you're right, it is like a story within a story a little bit. Um, Yeah. While I was researching your work for this podcast, um, I ch- checked out the Instagram you have for your own artwork. And I just, I absolutely love it. The, the pieces <laughs> are so playful and there's like a whimsy and they're sort of odd, but sweet. Um, I wondered h- how you would describe them to our listeners. Like to me, they're sort of mixed media, like you have sketches, but they're also kind of layered on top of photos. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so um, like I said, I love photography, and when Instagram started to get, like, more traction back back when, <laughs> um, I was taking pictures, but also I love to doodle, and I never thought, like, I like considered myself like a good, like, drawer or illustrator or whatever, um, but I can certainly draw little creatures that I like. <laughs> I think that's the extent of my abilities, (laughs) but, um, but just because I could do that and just like, like, um, so like taking pictures that by themselves are kind of are nice, but they're not like, they're not great, but also, and just like imbuing this other element into it, which is like these little creatures, um, just kind of made it fun and whimsical, and I and I like that. And I think now that I'm talking about it, it kind of like reflects on what I write too, because it's like this part of a like a very straightforward like real world element, like um, like a glass or an orange or mm-hmm. a little flower or whatever it is, and then like kind of like taking it out of its real world context or adding something different to that real world context where he just kind of like changes the narrative of what that object is. Um, And so, yeah, I think that's, that's something I'm interested in for sure now that I think about it. Yeah. yeah, So yeah, that's, that's where it comes from. I just like visually, I mean, I just like how they look visually. They're kind of minimal, but also, like if you spend a little time with it, you kind of like get a sense of fun and like silliness and whimsy that I Yeah, like.
2: absolutely. Um yeah, that's really interesting how it parallels what you usually do in your writing as well. Um we'll definitely uh link to it from the show notes, but if listeners want to check it out, it, I would say it's it, it's Instagram and it's at Samanito. Is that how you yes. say? Yeah.
1: Yes, at Samanito. Yes, thank you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so so great. <laughs> um Your debut novel just came out in March. So huge congratulations. Um, A friend of mine just read it and she loved it. She said it was so special
0: Um, and and, and always
2: surprising her. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. And I mean, you know, that's just my friend's review, but you also got a great review in the LA Times and lots of other mentions that it it sounds like like a really wild story, like sort of horror, but it has a lot of heart in it. Would you just tell us about that?
1: Yeah. So um, it's called Monstrillo and it's about this family who loses their son and I'm not giving anything away because this happens to like the first pages. Um, (laughs) and so the mother cuts a piece of the, of her son's lung. Um, and she keeps that piece for herself. Um, and then that, that piece of lung grows into a little monster and it's this, the, the novel is basically the story of this family. Um, uh, Racing this little monster as their son, kind of. Mm-hmm. And it's told from four different perspectives, um, the mother, her best friend, the father, and the little monster himself.
2: Mm-hmm. That just, it, yeah, it just sounds fascinating. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, you know, knowing what I now know about your writing, it sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah yeah so right. yeah I, I was when I, when I started worrying, uh, writing it I, I I worried a little bit that if I could like push a like one of those like fantastical concepts within a real world to it's to a mm-hmm. novel length project. Um, it seemed daunting at first, but then, but then it happened somehow <laughs> uh, through a lot of revision and changing things and, like, mm. stumbling a lot. But um, it happened. So I'm, I'm very happy with it.
2: That's great. You must be thrilled that it's, you know, out in the world after so much work.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So uh, always the last question we ask everyone is just what you're working on now and what's, what's next?
1: So um, I'm writing a second novel um, it kind of has zombies in it but like different type of like well the idea of zombies I love mm-hmm. the idea of zombies and also like that part in like zombie narratives or like um, books or movies in which like the people are just like locked into a place and they can't really like go out, but they kind of like have to live in that like safe space for a while because like the world has been run over by <laughs> zombies. And so like that I'm interested in um, and that like kind of like bubble existence mm. where outside is really dangerous, but also like inside it's kind of like boiling with things. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to write towards that. I don't know how it will come about, but <laughs> I'm trying
2: Yeah. No, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Well, Gerardo Samano Cordova, thanks so much for joining us. It's been really great to talk with you.
1: Thank you so much, Emily. I'm I'm super happy to be here and just speak with you.
2: Listeners, you can read Gerardo's story and subscribe to the latest issue of The Common at thecommononline.org.